Broadcasting from Orchard Park, New York, and Boca Raton, Florida, you are listening to Freight 360. Whether it's breaking news, tips to increase your business, or just some good old sports talk, this podcast is all about having a conversation about the world of freight. I'm your host, Nate Cross. And Benjamin Kowalski. Let's talk freight. All right, welcome back for episode 98 of Freight 360. Two more. Booming hot, booming hot in the middle of summer here, Ben. Two episodes till we hit the cent- centurion mark. How you doing? Doing well, man. How's your week going? Where you at? The, where you at today? I'm still in Virginia like I was last week, but I will tell you, I got to go out to Virginia Beach this past weekend, and it was uh, it was awesome, man. Really good time. Uh, if you ever been to Virginia Beach, they have these drinks called uh, Orange Crushes. They basically make. Um, they like squeeze a fresh orange with like shaved ice and then you can get like different flavors or you can like you could have an alcoholic version or just a, a regular one. Had a couple of those. It was a good time, man. Hung out at the beach on Saturday for like six hours. Got a couple of henna tattoos. <laughs> Let me see this. Me. Th- throw that throw up those signs. What do you I got, got a I got a Mickey Mouse. Mickey. And I got another Mickey Mouse, but it's kind of crooked. I did it like as a joke and I thought that yeah. was like three days, but I mean, we're on like day five or six. I got them Friday night, I think. So, Glad you're enjoying yourself. Virginia beach yeah. is nice. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's cool. It's a good time. So, but yeah, still, um, I'll be wrapping up this logistics course here uh, on Friday, headed back to Buffalo and uh, yeah, back to the normal world. But yeah, if you're a first time listener, welcome to freight 360. You've been with us for a while. Welcome back. We're glad to have you. Remember, there's 97 other episodes, tons of great content. Our new website will be launching very, very, very soon, and it will be searchable. So you can search for any one of our episodes by, um, you know, a keyword, something like that. So make sure if you got a buddy in the industry or someone that's interested in learning about it, have them listen to a little bit of the, you know, some of the podcasts or videos or whatnot. That should be launching... Is it next week? I'm thinking it may go live today. Our meeting after we're recording is with them to go through the final review. It may go live this week. So, yeah. So freight360.net. As always, we list everything in our show notes that we reference on the episode. So uh, all of our affiliates, obviously DAT and lean big sponsors of ours, you get really good um, offers from them like DAT, the free load board for a month and whatnot links to sign up for our coaching or for our course. We've had, we've had students flowing in the last few weeks. It's been really, really good turnout. Great feedback. Um, don't be, uh, don't be surprised if you get a random text message from that other freight training company who's recently launched a very similar product. Just kind of copying us <clears throat> freight broker bootcamp, but, uh, <laughs> we're, uh, we're back at it for another week. Hey, it's, so. What is that? What's that old cliche that uh what is it copying is the highest form of flattery or yeah it is man i'm flattered yeah i'm flattered that the man the myth the legend dennis brown himself um you know realized that he's not the only dog out there now and uh someone actually made a a real course and not his his thing so but anyway sports man colin morikawa champion golfer of the year at 24 years old man Yep. It's an awesome, awesome weekend of golf. Um, yeah. And so I'm pretty sure from, I tried to follow it as best as I could. The, he was not, so who was the guy that was up by like six strokes under after the first round? So Louis Oosthuizen, I, I always mispronounce his name, um, but uh, Louis was leading going into Sunday. 
He finished second, I think, in two other majors this year, has not won a major since his only win. And I believe it was 2011 or 2009. Yeah. It was either 11 years ago or in 2011. He won the Open, um, you know, what you would call the British. Yeah. And played a hell of a, you know, three days of golf, played great on Sunday, but just didn't have it. Colin won by two. And they were calling it, honestly, when he was on like the 15th hole. Um, yeah. Like, yeah. He ran away with it. Well, he won, he didn't. It wasn't like a slim margin. He won by a handful of strokes, right? He won by two over Jordan Spieth, but he won by four strokes over number three. And Jordan wasn't really close. I mean, he wasn't yeah. like knocking on the door. So it was what well, you would say almost kind of like a walk away. Yeah, I mean, like yep. he he had it pretty much the a non uh, non climatic finish there or climactic finish, whatever it would be called. So. Good stuff. Other than that, the uh, Olympics has actually already started, right? The opening ceremonies, I think, are this Friday. So if you're listening to this when we launch it, opening ceremony day. But due to some of the sports taking way too long to get their tournaments done, I think like soccer is one of them, they've actually already started. Um, I think the U.S. women's team, was it, already got eliminated? And it hasn't even been an opening ceremony. I don't know. Something happened. But, um, yeah, I heard that at lunch today when I was grabbing some Olive Garden. Um, the, the lady behind the Ooh, little free breadstick action. Oh yeah. I like me some breadsticks, but other than that NBA championship, Milwaukee took it away last night. They came back after being down two nothing in the series. They won four straight to win it. I can't, I'm not a big NBA fan, but the, uh, the bucks, um, their star player last night scored 50 points in one. Wow. Game. That's in, that's insane. So he hit like 17 out of 19 three-pointers or something like that. It was just absolutely outstanding. So they deserved it. They broke a uh, like a 50-year dry spell or 40-year dry spell, something like that. So good to go. Good stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. Today's episode is going to be all about dispatching. We're going to talk – and we're going to revisit dispatching as a freight broker in a later episode. We're going to talk about dispatching, whether it's the independent dispatchers that you will work with as a freight broker or – the dispatchers that work directly for a trucking company that you'll work with as a broker as well. So um, we're going to dig into it, but first we got to give a shout out to our friends over at DAT. Ben? Take the guesswork out of freight with DAT. The DAT load board network is the largest on-demand freight marketplace in North America, connecting freight brokers with available capacity on any lane. Grow your business with tools that allow you to find new business partners, Plus, you can quickly qualify and onboard new carriers. And with the industry's leading freight rate data, you can make clear and confident pricing decisions. Check out the link in the show notes for a free month of either Trucker's Edge, Power, or... Express. Express. Normally, the Trucker's Edge is the one that you can't uh, can't get out of your mouth, but there we go. And by the way, to anybody out first time listeners with the purchase of our course, Freight Broker Basics, you also get, like we said, a free month of DAT as well as a free month of group coaching with us as well. Absolutely. Links in the show notes. All right. Dispatching. Now, there is a growing community of dispatchers that have emerged into the industry probably over the last 12 to 18 months, if I were to generalize it. And I think to start off here, we need to kind of talk about what they are versus what they aren't, just to give everybody some context. And then we're going to peel back the layers some more. So, Ben, what is a dispatcher? And then we'll talk about what they aren't. 
So a dispatcher is somebody that arranges loads within carriers, right? It's almost as if they're an extension of that carrier, right? So they get either a percentage fee or a flat fee to book that truck. What they aren't is they aren't somebody, they are not a broker. They cannot license. They have zero license. They cannot solicit freight from, they cannot call through and go and take possession or I don't want to say that because they're not really taking possession, but they cannot operate in the same manner a brokerage right. can. Yeah. The FMCSA very clearly defines what a broker is and what a motor carrier is. Dispatchers do not currently have any kind of license or definition according to the FMCSA, which again is the federal Motor Carrier Motor Carrier Safety Administration. So I think that the, the easiest way to, to digest this is think about it this way. The dispatcher, like you said, Ben, is, a, is an extension of the carrier. So they represent the carrier, okay? They do not represent a shipper. They do not represent a broker. They are not a broker. They strictly represent a motor carrier. So in essence, at the basic level, let's say you got a small fleet, maybe two to three trucks or a single owner operator, and they don't want to go through the hassle of trying to sift through load boards and find their next load. A dispatcher, what they will do is they will find available loads for that truck or those trucks to haul. And they will do that, like you said, on a contract basis, typically for those motor carriers that they work with, they will get paid either like usually like 5% or like maybe a flat rate of like 50 bucks or something like that. And they'll do all the legwork to find the, you know, what's going where, what's it paying and all that stuff. So um, they have to represent themselves under the motor carrier number of the motor carrier that they are representing. Okay. And it's that simple. If at any point a dispatcher tries to represent a shipper and find different available trucks for them, they are then illegally operating in the role of a broker, which they are not licensed to do. And that and is a, a very clear distinction. Their and, best and interest should at all times always be the carrier that they're working for. Now, a dispatcher can have multiple carriers that they represent, but they need to act as if they only represent with no uh, no discrimination or no bias for whatever carrier they're getting a load for. There was an interesting, recently the TIA, who Nate and I do work with, put a petition before Congress to narrowly or more narrowly define what a dispatcher can do. So throughout most of this, there was a petition that I think it went through in November where they're asking Congress to define it as one motor carrier so that they wouldn't even be able to do multiple. Um, I mean, we'll keep you updated on whether or not that passes and if that changes, but I think, and why I really was excited about this topic, um, is they provide value in the market. In they fact, do. I've got a client right now that moves a lot of drayage um, through the ports and terminals, and they've been moving with dispatchers for a long time. I've done it personally. What, what I would, here's what I would say though, is because of the strict regulation of what they can and cannot do. In my opinion, if, if I wanted to be a dispatcher, I would probably just get my brokerage authority. So there was no gray area and I could legally operate and represent multiple carriers and shippers at the same time. That way you cut out another middleman and you just act as one broker, right? And you can, any good broker should be providing value and options to both their customers that ship freight and their carrier network as well. So let me ask you something. I want to play a little devil's advocate. 
Okay. And I'm going to give you a scenario that I utilized years ago when I was brokering. So I had a handful of dispatchers in Chicago and their primary responsibility for me, I had a few in in Memphis as well. And what I relied on them to do was to pull together a lot of individual owner ops that one, most of which didn't have the time and certainly didn't have the time to do the paperwork to be able to really run their own business, but they wanted to main, they wanted to remain independent. So for instance, I had one, and if she's listening, Felicia was one that I used um, for a long time in Chicago. And it just happened to be that like four or five of her relatives all owned their own trucks and wanted to be independent owner ops. So she dispatched for basically her family and their close friends that were all owner ops. She handled the paperwork and helped keep these guys moving because in Dreyage, they make money in volume, they're pulling boxes and the numbers can constantly change. So she provided a lot of value in helping assist me, the broker with that. Now to your point, if she would have became a broker though, I don't know how we would have been okay with co- I guess, I mean, we could have co-brokered loads to her, but I feel like that maybe would have so, made it harder. Yes, I will, I will give you credit there because if you're working with a bunch of owner operators like that, that's where you can add value to them because and actually she's adding value to both sides, right? She's adding value to them by helping them find their loads and keep them loaded. She's also adding value to the brokers out there because she could bring together or she could bring more than just a single truck as an option right. for them. Okay. Now what I'm saying, I was saying, if you just brokered, then you could get direct customers yourself. Now here's the thing though, not everyone can solicit effectively and be good at gaining customer or shipper business. So or has a desire to, because let's or, be honest. Or, like that's, or they don't want to. In yeah. which case, then yes. Um, there'd be no point in it because they wouldn't be able to get any freight to be able to give to their, um, you know, to their carriers to move. Also where it gets, you know, if, if you do have a brokerage authority, you decide, oh, I'm still just going to dispatch and get loads off the load boards. If you're a dispatcher for a carrier and you're also a licensed freight broker, this is like a double layer thing. You need to make sure you're only wearing one of those hats at one time, right? Yep. So for, for example, I have brokers that work for my company and they represent their shipping customer and their carriers. Now, if one of their carriers needs a bad call somewhere and they don't have a load for them, they will happily put on that dispatching hat not representing Pierce Worldwide Logistics, just representing that carrier. Hey, you know what? I'm going to use the load boards. I'll find you a load. And nine times out of 10, not even going to charge you a fee for it. Just going to do it pro bono because I want to keep you happy. They're not representing the brokerage when they do that because that would be double brokering. So. And I, because the more I've been thinking about it and the more I've, you know, the clients that we work with and that we coach with, um, like, I think there really is a need, especially when there is a need for more capacity and there's a need to pull some of these folks together where I think a lot of the issues come in is that like, there's literally no barrier to entry. So anybody, and, and I'll be honest, the other really interesting thing I've noticed, and this, I, I can't imagine they're not related is that some of my clients that are calling carriers, like and we talked about this in a previous episode on how to get capacity in a tight market. You really are prospecting carriers in this market. in a lot of times, like, in fact, I remember him telling me, he's like, I'm calling these carriers and they're going, well, Hey, what are you calling for? And he's like, well, I'm calling to book trucks. Like, I don't know what else I would call for. Like, I feel like that's kind of an odd question to ask, but 
are you taking on new customers? And one had said, oh, well, we're just getting blown up with people calling us asking to be able to book our trucks for people. And it's like, there's not a lot of value for dispatchers out there calling larger carriers, asking them if they can dispatch for them. And I that has to be happening because we're literally hearing this from these people and yeah. these carriers. So a larger carrier will tend to have their own internal employee-based dispatching division. So for example, Pierce Worldwide Logistics, our asset division is called Warren Pearson Company. It has a an asset-based MC number. We have a dispatching team that will, their sole job is to book the loads for all of our assets that we have. And they will work with our brokerage division and try to, you know, haul our own brokerage freight, but they will also pop on the load boards, talk to brokers and uh, book loads that way. So for a, if you're a larger, if you're a dispatcher, you're probably not going to want to go and try and solicit a, uh, carrier, a larger carrier to be one of your companies that you dispatch for, because they probably already have that capability down. Plus brokers are probably already blowing them up, trying to get access to their capacity. So, and it, it's a weird market right now, but I still think that that, I think that that concept will stand when you get to a certain size of a trucking company. I think they will always hire their own person internally and oh, yeah. they're not contract based. They're just like, Hey, we're going to pay you a certain salary. And then, you know, maybe a 1% commission per load or something like that. It's, it's a, it's a cost analysis. They have to figure out like what makes more financial sense. So. And I think to a further point, and we talked to Kevin Hill about this, you know, he developed my carrier list and um, you know, it said a lot of dispatchers wanted that service to be able to solicit carriers. And he's like, look, like this is just, isn't what it's built for. These are all predominantly established carriers. But what I will say is some helpful tips out there for folks that do want to build a dispatching book of business is make sure you're going through the FMCSA and you're checking driver units for these MC yes. numbers. How it's, many power units, how many drivers, how, all that stuff. You can see this. It's public information. We will tell you that it's not always the most accurate, but if you've got a decent CRM, you can go in there and just start adding in MCs and carriers and just start prospecting and asking them, hey, you know, if you've got one driver and it's an owner op, more than likely, like, hey, they'd probably be interested or, you know, would consider being able to if you're adding value, right? Right. If you're not just basically doing what they can do themselves. Absolutely. And that's where I think if you have... This is where I see it as a, as a really good option to do it. So the one person owner, op, they have some free time, but if somebody owns a small trucking company and they are one of the drivers for it, oh, yep, they're driving and trying to dispatch their other trucks. That is a gold mine of where to hop in and, and try to um, gain them as a company to dispatch for. Oh, that's huge. Absolutely. Absolutely huge. Especially if you can get them small and help be there as they grow and help to get them continual, consistent business. If you're able to help with their invoicing, if you're able to help with the communication, like, because I mean, think about it. It's always specialization. If you're a driver, drive. That's where you get paid the most. Yep. You make the least amount of money, if not lose money when you're doing paperwork. If you're a dispatcher, you should be dispatching, right? Like if you're a broker, you should be brokering. Right. It's not that you can't go into these other areas. It's that like, that's where you will provide the most value. You will make the most return on your investment, which is your time. That's what we're all investing in. Most of these business ventures is outlaying energy and amount of time to try to get a return where you can make a living. 
So I want to bring up this as a discussion topic here. Let's put ourselves in the shoes of us as a freight broker, right? And there's a lot of dispatchers out there that we may be dealing with. We, we might get calls to them about available loads on the boards or anything like that. Now, like I said earlier, there's been a big influx in the amount of dispatchers that have entered the industry the last year, year and a half, because there's no barrier to entry and everyone thinks transportation, it's never going to stop. It's only going to grow, which is true. But what are some things that you think as a broker, you should be keeping in mind if you talk to a dispatcher? Because remember, they don't necessarily work for the company that they're dispatching for. Exactly. I think in most cases they, they aren't right. Well, that's what I'm saying. Cause you, I mean, you could, let's say you talk to, um, I don't know, my, my company is asset division and you talk to a dispatcher. He works for right. Warren Pearson company. But what I want to talk about here is the kind of the, the questions and discussion points you would want to have on the phone as a broker, when someone tells you they're a dispatcher, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of start off here. The first I got couple, you. Yeah. So I think the first thing is what, Always make sure you know the MC number and then find out if they are an independent dispatcher or if they work driving for the company. Because if they're an independent dispatcher and they work and they represent other carriers as well, you can then grow your carrier network just by having a relationship with that dispatcher. You know what I mean? And that's a big value because they, they might give you one MC, but it's like, hey, do you represent any other MCs as well? And obviously that dispatcher should not have their own carriers competing against each other. That'd be a company of interest, but that person is a gateway to potentially four or five trucking companies that have capacity right now that they're controlling. And that's a huge value. Add. That's a very good person to be, um, you know, have a good relationship with and a tie with. And that's your, so, I think that's not only your first question, it's also going to give you a lot of insight into what's going on. If somebody doesn't know, I mean, that's, I don't want to say it's a red flag, but I'm going to ask quite a few questions after that. If somebody goes, sure. I'm not sure. Um, The other one is you you need to make sure of this because like who you're tendering the load to, I mean, like that's, I just lost my train of thought in the middle of that. No, I mean, you made a good point. Does that person have the authority to sign a contract on behalf of that carrier, for example? And another thing I wanted to bring this up, we talked about it in negotiating is they're not the one driving the truck, right? If they tell you they're a dispatcher, you can ask questions like, does this work for your driver? Would this help him or her out? Mm-hmm. And this way you're taking the responsibility out of their realm and putting it onto the driver's realm. Hey, does this seem like a fair rate or a good lane for your driver? And it's just, in my opinion, it's a good negotiating way to do it. Cause at the end of the day, if everyone, if it's a win-win, that's an, that's the best possible case scenario. So I'm always deflecting responsibility, even as yeah. a broker. I mean, when I'm quoting something, it's not my quote. It's this is what the carrier needs to run it for. I'm always moving the responsibility to the other party so yep. that one, I can seem not seem, but like you, you want to appear to be the, the partner with your shippers. Like they're yeah. your customers. That's who you work with. Right. Like, yep. And also, if you can if you can get the negotiation to get your care, if that dispatcher, if you can kind of get their price a little bit lower and they have a relationship with the drivers that they're representing, they can then go and say, hey, I've got this load for you. This broker is a really good um, company to work with, a really good guy to, or girl, girl to work with. Um, it's going to be, you know, I know you wanted to be at this, but it's going to be $100 less or whatever the case might be. It's then that lower price being brought up to them by someone that they already know and trust their dispatcher versus some broker who may have never worked with them before. 
So that's another good point. Yeah, yeah. very great point. So um, that's my take on it. Like I, I always say, dispatchers, when done, when done properly, dispatchers offer a very, very big value to the industry. Now, just like there's been an influx in um, brokers in the last two years or forever, really. Like I said before, there's also a big influx in dispatchers, which always brings up the risk of, are they really that good? Do they know what they're doing? Do they actually have capacity? Are they going to fall out on me and I'm going to have to recover it? So the more you can ask good engaging questions and you you can typically tell right away or fairly quick if you trust this person and if they know what they're talking about. So those are, those are really good things to think about. So what do you think the, well, let me ask you this. What do you think is a fair margin for a dispatcher to charge? 5%. Well, it depends. Um, that's tough because I'm not going to want to, if I'm a carrier, I'm not going to want to pay a 5% margin on an $8,000 load. If it's a one pick, one drop. Um, I think it's subjective. I think if it's a one pick, one drop load, um, I don't know. It's tough, man. I think I think five percent has been a pretty common industry standard, but there's also been like the flat rate, like fifty bucks a load. But then at the same time, if I'm a dispatcher, am I going to really only take a fifty dollar commission if I'm finding a three pick four drop load that's cross country of produce at a temperature control? Like, there's a lot of variables that go in there, and I think that knowing your worth as a dispatcher is kind of the same thing you got to figure out, like what's my value as a broker? Cause there's no, like we could say, Hey, what's a, what's a fair um, way to pay a broker. And there's just, there's a lot of answers. It depends. It really depends. If you're doing, you know, 1500 mile runs that are one pick one drop, I think uh, either a flat rate or a 5% commission is probably fair. Um, whether you go flat rate or you go commission percentage, that harder the load is or the longer that load is, you're going to want to make sure it's more. You want to get, you want to make sure you can get paid what you're worth. So I don't have a good answer for it on that one, Ben. What but did I you think, have in mind? Well, I think in your answer, it, there's a lot you could unpack there because one, I've always felt like what you charge should be commensurate with the value you add. So I think they should vary. I think you, they should be lower in some areas and higher where the work is higher, depending on the work and the complexity of it. Um, one of the things that I would stay away from is overly promising to carriers. Um, I see a lot of that in the Facebook groups, a lot of it in our Facebook group. Um, in fact, there was a quote, yeah, don't literally promise the highest paying loads. Well, that's, and that's the mistake the thing. that young brokers make to customers is I'll get you the cheapest trucks. Yeah. You got brokers trying to get the cheapest trucks. You have dispatchers telling carriers they'll get them the best paying loads. And you've got shippers fighting everybody trying to keep reasonable prices. And that's where a lot of the conflict starts. I mean, the one quotes directly off of the clarity, there's a great article on Freightways we'll throw in the show notes, but um, you know, it kind of even said like the TIA as well as legal dispatchers are welcoming some intervention from the FSMCA. <laughs> FMCSA insisting that unscrupulous dispatchers are giving brokers and dispatchers a bad name. And it said, you know, it's a little discouraging to see dispatch companies popping up like mushrooms. They're being told it's easy to get in and make a ton of money. What irks me is that these companies jumping in don't set expectations that they can meet for the carriers. They tell these small carriers, hey, we'll make you 12 grand a week. But then they come up short and they risk pushing the carriers under. 
There's just too many gray areas and the FMCSA has to pony up and figure this out. Dude, we've, I'll tell you this, that's a good point. I've had um, notifications from our Facebook group that Facebook automatically censored certain comments or posts in our group because it violated community guidelines. And it was people, and I was able to go review what was auto, like I couldn't even approve it myself if I wanted to, but Facebook allowed me to see what those posts were. And it was just like that. Do you want to make $12,000 a week or whatever, or $12,000 a month, you know, and it puts a link in there to contact them on like uh, WhatsApp or whatever the different things are now for people texting and calling and whatnot. But um, it almost sounds scammy. All right. And I also want to caution this. Okay. The market is a certain way right now with capacity versus the amount of freight that's moving. Okay. There is limited capacity of trucks and an influx in shipping. So for that reason, rates are higher and carriers are like, I want to get my hands on all that high paying stuff. That's where a dispatcher can add value. Now, I will caution you, if you're getting paid a percentage as a dispatcher, what's going to happen when the market does a shift, and it probably will this fall, or if not, maybe this winter, where the capacity has leveled out, right? Shipping volumes have either met an equilibrium or it's, it's flipped the opposite way. We see that whole market cycle, I think it was like every 18 months is what uh, you know DAT was telling us. Um, but so for that reason, if you're on a commission basis and the rates go down due to that supply demand curve with capacity, you're gonna make less money. And on top of that, you're gonna have other carriers and other dispatchers even more eager to fight for the same freight that you're trying to get. So you don't have the pick of the litter like you do right now as a dispatcher, or you won't have the pick of the litter like you do right now as a dispatcher you know, four or six months from now. So I always want to, and that will continuously shift and cycle always. throughout the market and throughout time as time goes on. Happens every year, every year and a half, and whether it's produce season or just economics in general, the way the market is going, a pandemic, all that stuff. Well, and I think that speaks to the longevity of the industry. I mean, as a broker, I've watched carriers undercut each other as this shifts, right? When that shifts and the carriers start to feel pressure and those high paying loads start disappearing and they start actually competing and you start seeing the, you know, the capacity shift, just like you mentioned, I mean, all of a sudden that value add to the carriers is minimal because that additional margin prevents those carriers from getting those loads and the other type of market. That's just the economics of it. They, they so like right now when they can haul whatever they want for whatever price they want essentially I mean that's an exaggeration but they don't mind paying a hundred dollars right. or fifty bucks out of their somebody pocket. to do that job for them because they're like I'm gonna make more money if I have less empty miles and I just keep driving and hauling and making money when that changes they they're gonna be like I would rather take the thirty minutes myself to find my next load than to pay someone a hundred dollars to do it for me. Mm-hmm. Because now it's like margins are thinner. They're getting paid. I mean, carriers in some industries right now are getting paid double what they're used to get, be getting paid. So they're going to be getting desperate when that, you know, when that all shifts. That won't last forever. It won't. It never does. Never does. Yep. So good stuff. Dispatching. We go and we hit it pretty hard on that topic. Is there anything else you want to hit on before we get into our, our Q&A here? We got a, a handful of good questions. 
I would like, you know, anybody listening out there that would like us to cover any of these other aspects of it or would like us to chime in on any other dispatch questions to obviously, you know, reach out to Nate or I or to throw those questions in the Facebook group. Um, Because I am curious and and I would like us to be able to provide some insight and clarity and guidance around this for those people that are looking for it. Um, Yeah, that's pretty much it. So here's something we could probably do is, you know, if you're a dispatcher and you're listening and we can post this in our Facebook group too, is reach out to Ben and I would love to have a quick chat with one of you and just kind of from your perspective, what did we miss? What value add is there that we're not seeing? Because there's a lot of people out there, they're bitching right now about dispatchers and they're taking margin away from um, carriers in some instances, or they're jacking up the rates of trucks right now if you're a broker. Um, And from the shipping standpoint, they're like, come on, another person making money off of this shipment? Like what's going on here? So um, tell us, reach out to us. Um, What's the best, is it it info or is it admin? What is the best email that's for us right now? Info at Freight360.net or admin. You know what? There's Nate at Freight360.net and there's Benjamin at Freight360.net. Our info is in the show notes. Reach out to us. Let us know. We'd love to chat with you for five, 10 minutes and get your take. So, all right. Got three Q&A questions here, but first got to give a shout out to our friends over at Lean Solutions Group. You can always contact them on the web at leangroup.com. There is a link in the show notes. Like we mentioned, they're dropping our new website maybe today, maybe tomorrow, hopefully in the next week or so. We've had a lot of Last minute changes, we've got a meeting right after this with them to to go over the final product. But Lean has such a wide variety of services to offer, whether whether you're a dispatcher or carrier, but most likely as a broker, that's where they tend to do very, very well with staffing, account management and sales, marketing, technology. If you need an extra body in your company and you don't want to pay for a full timer at the rate that they're going for in the US, they've got and you don't want to train somebody, they've got a trained staff of transportation and brokerage professionals at about half the cost. So you can get two people for the cost of one in the States. These are very professional, good English speaking folks located down in Colombia, South America, and they're doing a great job. I know they've got a lot of clients that have joined them lately. They're even expanding outside of transportation as well, because they do such such a good job with the nearshore model of staffing. So check them out, leangroup.com. I think we're going to, is it Trey next week on with us? He's in the next few weeks. I don't have the calendar in front of me, but. Yeah. So our buddy Trey Griggs will be on with us again in the upcoming weeks here. It might even be episode 100. Who knows? Who knows? So wouldn't he be lucky? All right. First question here. Can I become a freight broker if I just have a high school degree? So here's one, here's one of the things I love about some of the, the questions that get put out there is um, someone who's brand new to freight brokerage, they ask a question And it's not, you know, these questions aren't dumb questions, but the way that people like just beat them up in these forums, like Reddit and Facebook, they're like, come on. And it's like, Hey, at least they're asking, you know what I mean? I flipped. I don't want to say I flipped out, but like I went to the defense of somebody that that happened to in the past couple of days. And I was, I wrote, I was like, first off, I'm like, the only dumb questions are the questions people don't ask. Yeah. And I said, the other thing is, you know what? Like, and I absolutely do this. Somebody was like, well, why don't you just do your own research? And I'm like, well, maybe they just wanted to hear somebody's opinion on it. I do that that's all the time. That's part of their research. Is right. That is research. I'm yeah. like, I do that constantly. Like, yes, I will look up legal definitions and look up what I can find there. But 
I always want to hear somebody's subjective experience going through it because yeah. there's so much to learn. Absolutely. So the question, high school degree, there's no requirement whatsoever. Now, I want to give you a little context here. Some of the larger brokerages out there, if you want to go the W-2 route, they might want you to have a high school degree at a minimum or a GED, something like that. But I mean, let's be honest, freight brokering is not a uh, it's it's not a career that any specific college degree is going to give you a leg up in. Maybe you and you know maybe you did supply chain or business. And you just have a better understanding of business in general or of the supply chain. But there's no license or degree or certification you're going to get from a college um, program that's going to make you on paper any better than the next person. So they're going to get the same um, starting salary. So to answer, yeah, exactly. To answer the question, um, you can absolutely become a freight broker with just a high school degree. There is a lot of education, coaching, mentorship experience you're going to want to gain to make yourself proficient. That's why we've, you know, we've solved a lot of those problems by offering the freight broker basics course and the group coaching and even our one-on-one coaching. Um, But yeah, I always recommend do your research, talk to folks that have been doing it, get good education, have someone in your corner like a coach to help you along the way. And if you want to go the W-2 route, always check before you sign a contract to know what it's going to prevent you from doing down the road. So, yeah. And speaking of, second question, how can I stay in the industry while I wait out my TQL non-compete? I love this one. So, um, and the, the person that asked the question actually called it TQ hell, <laughs> which I, I got kind of a kick out of. Um, so I'm not going to answer the question of, hey, how do I get around my non-compete? Because the person flat out said, I've got a two-year non-compete. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to abide by that non-compete, but I want to stay relevant in the industry while I'm waiting out that two years and not get too disconnected. So at a high level- I'll give you the easiest way. I'll tell you how you can work through it. Point blank. Easiest way to do it. Move to California. And there's three other states that currently I think don't enforce non-competes. If you're willing to do that. (laughs) Sure. But let's answer the question as if they do, they're actually going to wait out their non-compete. Here is what I've seen people do. And um, it was legit and it worked. Okay. You can go work for something like, uh, you can go do like, let's say, be a logistics consultant for some supply chain company where you are not directly competing with a freight broker in any way, shape, or form. You're not working with a previous customer of that previous employer, in this case, TQL. I've seen people do that. They're like, hey, I want to come into your company and show you how to make your transportation and shipping division a little bit more efficient because I've worked on the brokerage side before, right? That is only way to do it. You can go work for a trucking company and maybe work in operations and gain some experience on the carrier side and kind of grow that toolbox knowledge you got there. Um, as you said, Ben, you can just kind of say, screw it. I'm going to go to a, a state that's not going to recognize that. Um, but I think if you stay in the industry, but you're far enough removed from direct competition, it's that happy medium. So what I also will tell you though is, Call an attorney. Um, the, the day that you say that again? Call an attorney as well. Yes. Yeah. I, I wasn't going to say that, but that's absolutely true because we're not lawyers. So don't take our, our word as gold on this. But the second that you stop brokering freight, what I was going to say is another broker is taking over that business. 
So it is very important for you to have clear and candid conversations with your old chippers before, during, and after that non-compete time to make sure like, hey, here's what I'm doing now. And when I'm, you know, when I'm back in the saddle in six months, 12 months, or two years, or whatever it is, I want to make sure this relationship is still, you know, it's still savvy. You know what I mean? So, and it's hard. It can be very, very difficult, but definitely staying in the industry is going to be probably the best way to do it. If you are not going to try and get around that non-compete. So that's an interesting question. And I'm really curious to see what happens with these non-competes down the road. So we shall see. Yeah. All right. Next and final question. As a new broker, is there a load board where I can find freight to bid on? And again, there's no dumb questions, right? But this question, the first response I saw was like, welcome to the show, buddy. Smile and dial. There's no there's no shortcut to getting freight or something like that. And I kind of yeah. laughed. But like there is real, like it's tongue in cheek because there are load boards you can bid for freight on. It's just to get to them, you need to call and build a relationship and become part of their carrier base to get access to them. Yeah. So the, the, the way the question was worded, the full version of it, they were a carrier and they thought the way that they can find freight as a carrier on like DAT, they thought there was a similar load board for brokers to just go do the same thing. And it's like, well, no individual shippers, they will have their freight bid on, on their own boards on their own stuff online, right? Or through email or whatever. But it's not like, hey, put your email in and sign up and you're good to go. You still have to call and prospect and get in the door to be offered the ability to even see and bid on that stuff. So, And I will tell you, the freight that is bid out that way is typically lower margin and very, very much more competitive. Yeah, it's in like a waterfall system typically where yeah. like everybody throws in their bids and then it rolls out to the lowest one. And then if that carrier rejects it, it goes to the next lowest one and so on and so forth is really how they work internally behind the scenes. Yep. So I've heard that called, um, you know, bid freight, jump ball freight, kind of like in basketball, you know, the jump ball is start the game. Yep. It's like we're going to throw it up in the air and whoever gets it, gets it like based on whoever performs the best, which is typically based on price in those scenarios. Um, list freight. Um, it's called a lot of things, but I mean, you could simply call up a shipper and ask them, you know, Hey, uh, I'm afraid I'm not, don't use these words per slight, like, you know, have your own spin up, but Hey, I'm a freight broker. Um, would love to hop onto your, you know, bidding system and see if there's any value I could add and whatever and get add to their list. Essentially they'll get, you'll get emailed whenever they send their list out or their freight out. So, um, but yeah, there's no, you can't like get a subscription and just get access to everyone's freight and bid on it. Doesn't, doesn't work. I think it's a really good thing because it also points out like why brokers add value. The reason the market exists is because of freight brokers. Like shippers didn't all get together and independently decide to start offering their freight to the market to see which carriers they could get. It would take too long. It's too time consuming and it's not what they do. It's literally why brokers exist is to operate and function within those load boards. Like that's the industry. Yep. So when deregulation happened, like, you know, 40 years ago or so, um, when there was no longer government set rates on certain lanes throughout the country, brokers came along to negotiate and, you know, act as an intermediary, which is exactly the way the FMCSA defines a broker as the intermediary, right? Mm -hmm. So, Yes, there. That is your job as a broker is to act on behalf of the shipper and the carrier and find the best way to match them up and add value along the way. 
So good questions, man. Good stuff. Hey, good topic. Yeah. We had, you know, a couple questions from, you know, some new folks, someone that got salty at TQ hell that wants to know what that, what I can do while staying ethical. And- They've got a two year, the two year means they were pretty yeah. high up. They were probably manager or. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, um, and I'll tell you this, if you want to hear more about non-competes, I'm going to be on, put that coffee down with Kevin Hill next week. I think it's on Tuesday. And we're going to talk about being an agent and the whole, you know, the non-compete issue. If you're going to leave the W2 role from a TQL or an NTG. Or I'm looking forward to that. That's going to be a really yeah. good show. I'll go on and on and on for hours about that. I've been, I've been named in many, many lawsuits and um, cease and desist and all this stuff. And I'll tell you what, my old boss at Logistic Dynamics, one of the old CEOs before they sold out, he walked up to me in the bathroom one day, which is kind of an awkward thing, but he's like, He's like, Nate, heard you got named in another lawsuit. And I was like, yeah. He's like, you know what? If they're talking about you and they're getting mad at you, you're doing a good job and you're relevant. <laughs> so I kind of died laughing, but. Got to have some haters out there. The um, the slippery slope, and I don't want to give too much away for the, that, that show next week, is um, there's a smart way to do things and there's a dumb way to do things. And we're going to, we'll tackle some of that stuff. Um, but there's, there's some creative things you can do. At the end of the day, remember a, a you know, if a, if a lawsuit or a non-compete suit goes in front of a judge, there's no black and white law. It's whatever the judge decides is the best resolution and the fair resolution is what they're going to go with. And they are the one, they are the judge. They're in that role for a reason. They've been elected into that role to represent the people. My so, dad used to say, he's like the closest thing to God on earth is a judge. Yeah. <laughs> Buck stops with them. They so, make a and, decision. And uh, one of the one of the rules of thumb I use with Pierce right now, and our owner, Kevin Pierce, has the same mentality is, you know, if you've got a non-compete, if you were done wrong by your previous employer and you don't intend to do wrong by them in retaliation, but you still want to work in the industry, that's fair. Fair game, in my opinion. So, like, let's say, like, I had a guy that got fired for something really stupid. He didn't work for TQL, but the company he worked for TQL shared an office with and because he went and played ping pong with some of the guys at TQL, TQL went and called his company, got his, got his butt fired and uh, wanted to enforce him with a non-compete. And I'm like, that's stupid. They did you wrong, man. You were one of their top performers and you're just trying to, you know, socialize with other people that work in your office building. He's not still in business. He just going to just wants to keep working. That's all it is. Just wants to provide for his family. Yep. So that's that. That's a wrap. Check out what next show you? next week. I'm looking forward to the freight waves episode. I, I'm, I'm, I'm anxious to hear that. It's yeah, that'll stuff. be good. I think it's, uh, I forget the specific time it'll be at, but, uh, yeah, Kevin does it like every Tuesday you were, you were on with them, right? A, few yeah, weeks a couple ago? weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, tune in for that one. That'll be, that'll be a good one. So, uh, go team USA and the Olympics. Hope we get a lot of gold medals this year. The 2020 Olympics that are being taken place in 2021. <laughs> Gotta mm-hmm. love it. Any final thoughts, Mr. Kowalski? Whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. And now that I didn't cut you off this week, until next time, go Team USA and go Bills. That wraps up this episode of Freight 360. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to check out all the other episodes for even more great content. Check out the show notes for links to any articles and content that we referenced on this episode. Visit us on the web at www.freight360.net. And if you'd like to learn more about a new home for your agency, contact me directly. 
And if you'd like to learn more about me coming out to run a free complimentary sales training for your team, check me out on LinkedIn or again at www.freight360.net.